Well, you can come and eat your hot dogs for free. Happy? Okay, makes sense. Great. Let's open God's Word together. We're going to go to John chapter 2. We're going to start this little series looking at encounters with Jesus. And I want to give you a bit of a taster of this story itself first. Then we're going to read the story, and then I'm just going to draw a couple of points, and we're going to pray, and we're going to respond together, because I'm pretty sure that this morning, and this is a wonderful encounter, many, many layers to it, but we're going to focus on a very, like, human interaction between Jesus and his mum this morning. That's what John chapter 2 is going to show us. But I just feel like some of the words that are coming through, some of where Sally was leading us to into worship, just felt, and I, I, again, I, I don't think I wrote this down by mistake then the other day, but this was my prayer at the end. It just said, blessed are you, the God of the universe that brings forth the fruit of the vine. Blessed are you, the God of the universe that brings forth the fruit of the vine. I just think there's some people this morning that feel fruitless. That's what I think you feel. I think you feel a little bit as if, well, hang on a minute, it's spring again, it's summer. Just don't feel like I've got a, bit, a lot of fruitfulness in my life at the moment. And the Jesus encounter that you're going to see today is that he is the God of the universe that brings forth the fruit of the vine. The vine will grow, but the vine will stay fruitless unless the one, the life giver, the God of the universe, brings and gives you fruit. And today, the same power that rose Christ Jesus from the grave is at work in us, and he longs to bear fruit into your life as well. So if you're feeling fruitless, if you're feeling as if, I just, I got nothing here, like Sal said, that I can feel to be glad for, Jesus wants to bring that out in you today through an encounter with him. Because he is the one, not just that has life, but he's the one who gives life as well. It's one who gives life to all who choose to believe. Those that are grafted into him, the true living vine. The one that gets grafted in and says, actually, if he's got the life, I want some of that life as well. He promises to bear fruit. And what you're going to notice as well is it's not just a little bit of fruit that he bears. He bears fruit in abundance. Abundant fruit. Fruit that doesn't run out. Fruit that doesn't end, fruit that doesn't shrivel up on the vine, fruit that doesn't get hit by the frost, fruit that endures and fruit that will last. Jesus is the Lord of the feast. He's the Lord of the wine. He's the Lord of the banquet. He's the Lord of plenty. He's the Lord of abundance and he longs to share it with you today. That is incredibly good news. That is good news that you can cling on to. Even if you don't feel it, God's word is going to reveal to you that it's true And you can choose to believe it today and to enjoy the goodness of the abundant life that Jesus longs to bring to us. Let me just give you a little bit of context to this story. So this is right at the beginning of John's gospel. John's gospel, out of all of the four gospels that you get, is the one that's the most abstract. It's like a Picasso painting rather than a nice Rembrandt one that you see there. Like You see these little hidden things, but so much of it is like imagery and layers. And John's an incredible writer, but he's not particularly trying to write this human encounter of Jesus. He doesn't always focus on Jesus' humanity. Gospels like Luke does quite a lot, or Mark's gospel talks a lot about Jesus the man. A lot of John's gospel is about Jesus the Messiah. (laughs) What was the Son of God really like? And so the way that he does it is he tries to give us seven little signs, and this is the first of those seven signs that he says, see, this one is the Son of God. This one is the Messiah that we've all been waiting for. Seven's an important number in the Bible, number of completeness. 
So you're looking at this area of seven. He's trying to say, see, look, in all of them, and this water into wine is the first, but there's going to be others that you're going to see as well. Was there a little slide that had some of those others? There you go. For those that are interested, as Jürgen would say, Bible geeks amongst you, you know, enjoy. But these little seven signs start to appear, and you start to notice them that all of them are just revealing this little bit of the deity of, of Jesus, the messianess of Jesus, the saviour that they've been waiting for. And all of them are little pointers towards things that were in the Old Testament that are true of today. And the first that we're going to read is this water into wine. But then not only does he have seven signs, miraculous things that Jesus did, he also, John's gospel is famous for the seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. So he makes these statements about who he is. Jesus is revealing himself through what he does. And he's also talking about him saying who I am. Do you see that little thing at play? Because Jesus isn't just a good chatter. I'm an all right chatter. I quite like chatting. I don't know if I do much impressive stuff. Jesus does both. Some people are really good. They do loads. They're really quiet. I'm more of like a chatter and, you know, hopefully there's a bit going on. <laughs> That's all right. We've all, <laughs> we're all a balance. Jesus is both. He says incredible things about himself and he does incredible things as well. He backs up what he says and he shows it to be true. And these sevens spread out throughout John's gospel are John's way of pointing us towards, look at this guy. He's the Messiah. He's the saviour that Israel, that us, God's people, we've been waiting for, for him to come. And look, see, it's true because he does stuff and he says things. And both of those reinforce that the Messiah is now here. So the very first one of those is this encounter at a wedding that Jesus turns up to. And we say a lot, if you turn up to weddings here, I've married a lot of people standing about. I haven't married a lot of people. That sounded weird. I've performed ceremonies in which other people have got married. Okay. Before you start thinking this is some weird church cult thing that, you know, got loads of wives. I've stood here and had other people make vows in which I've helped them do that. And in it, at the beginning, you say these phrases, and Jesus, at the we blessed, uh, you know, I can't even remember what I say, but <laughs> Jesus blessed and ble Jesus showed the significance of marriage in his presence at the wedding at the Cana in Galilee. This is the wedding that's being alluded to, it's being pointed towards. Jesus showing, actually, I, I love marriage. I believe in what it is. And this is the sign of his very first miracle. Now, what's interesting is this right at the beginning of John's gospel, and John gives us none of the Jesus growing up story. I don't know about baby Jesus. I don't know about young Jesus. I basically get man Jesus arrived immediately at the beginning of John's gospel. And here he is at a wedding, and his mum is going to come up to him and ask for his help in that moment. Now, you might think that's quite a, a, a normal, everyday encounter that will be going on. A mum turned up and saying, son, could you do this for us? This would be really, really helpful. She knows something about Jesus as well. And clearly she feels like Jesus could help in this situation. But you might be surprised how Jesus responds. And that's what I'm going to say about all of these Jesus encounters. Every story that we're going to read together, we should be surprised sometimes at the encounter that we actually end up with with Jesus. Jesus is not, you know, ex oh yeah, I got exactly what I expected when I met Jesus. Oh yeah, just what I expected. Kind of, I thought that's what I'd get. Turned up, asked him a little bit. He did what I said. Jesus will surprise you. <laughs> it will surprise you. And it'll surprise you in ways that you, it'll, it'll catch you out. And you think, I didn't expect that. That's what broke me with Linda this morning. It's just that bit. I didn't realize how good you really were. 
because I was surprised by the encounter that I had with God. I heard it and had other people tell me, and even that bit when Sal was saying here, you know, some of you will say you won't feel it today. A whole room of people will testify to the fact that their encounters with Jesus have been increasingly surprised by what Jesus is really like, but every time surprised in good ways. Every time surprised that he is even better than you really thought he was. You'll never get to a moment and think, actually, Jesus, you're a bit worse than I thought you were. <laughs> kind of expected you at this level, but really you only got to here. An ongoing walk, relationship, discipleship with Jesus will continually surprise you at just how good, how mighty, how holy, how different, how caring, how gracious, how merciful, how kind Jesus really is. Because he's the best of us. He's the best you'll ever meet. Much better than anyone else you'll ever meet in this room is meeting Jesus, the true Messiah, the Son of God, the one who rose from the grave, the victorious king, the one who's coming back, the one who will keep us safe for all eternity. He is the best of us. We're going to see a little bit of that today. But you're going to be surprised because he won't say the things that you expected him to say. Should we read it? Okay. John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. I don't know if they paid for it. Someone else might have paid for their place. <laughs> when the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. What has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? Jesus asked. Now again, I'm, 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 I'm adding tone and I don't know the tone of that. It could have been, what has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? It could have been, what has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? I don't know. I don't get tone in the words. And anything I do, I'm just adding myself into the story. But I get some more. Jesus asked, my hour has not yet come. Do whatever, do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Again, another bit of the story, I always find this in stories. I don't know how long the gap between verse 5 and verse 6 actually is. I don't know. It could have been instant, Jesus responds. It could have been he left it hour, two hours, three hours. I just don't know. I don't, have you ever found that you're reading a book and it seems like it jumps from bit to bit, but you just don't know the time that's gone on between the story. And anything we add is us adding it in our mind. That's why reading's brilliant. Because reading does that, it engages your brain. When you watch a film, you're not actually able to do that. It kind of just happens in front of your eyes. It's a bit of a lazier way to gain information because you're just watching something happening. Reading, your brain's engaged and you're thinking it through. And So read the Bible with people. Enjoy reading the Bible with people. Find friends to read the Bible with. It's a lot of fun. Now, six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. It means just like washing. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Again, abundance here, brim, right? He didn't do it half full. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. And the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine. In brackets, you know. 
<laughs> I like that detail. In brackets, after it had become wine. Okay. <laughs> he did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drew, drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, Everyone sets out the fine wine first. Then, after people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his seven signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum together with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they stayed there only a few days. All right, we're going to draw out a few little bits there, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to respond together. Could you just put some of the, the pictures? I don't know if I can't. I, I prepared this two weeks ago, and I can't fully remember what I prepared, but I'm hoping that I put something there. I did, yes, okay. What you'll find is that throughout history, famous stories like this, people like to paint them, they try and capture them. So you'll go to, again, these might have been in the Guggenheim Museum. I doubt it because I think it's contemporary art. But they could have been in there. I just didn't see them. Um, but throughout history, stories like this are famous. Jesus turning water into wine. It's a pretty famous miracle. I guess, again, you might, you might not, people might not know a lot about Jesus. But if you said, did you ever hear about this guy who turned water into wine? It might just click a little thing. It's kind of like a little cultural bit that will be infiltrated all the way through for the last 2,000 years into culture somewhere, and often art's a good way of seeing it. Now, what I always find funny is like all of these pictures, you can sort of see they're all painted at very different times throughout human history, because what also people like to do, and it's really good for us to remember, we like to reflect the stories of Jesus into our culture. So actually, just go forward one slide, because this is a contemporary one. That's how we would like to put Jesus into our stories now. You know, Jesus turning water into wine is basically him punching the water and bottles coming out like we've gone to, to Sainsbury's, coming out of the wall like that. Do you see what I mean? Like, artists do that. People continuously try to reflect Jesus into us today. This is a 2,000-year-old story, not a contemporary story. So just go back. And again, these are, you know, they're not quite as dramatic in there, but this is just little captures throughout the ages of people trying to paint and portray Jesus' stories. And so this one here, the, the big bit, I guess, for us just to be able to realise is it really, the crux of it, like the, the central characters are Jesus and his mum, what his relationship with his mum is like in that moment, the fact that he's at a wedding, and at this wedding, weddings would have gone on for multiple days, wine has run out of the wedding, that is a huge embarrassment to the family, because they haven't provided enough. Everyone's been invited, disciples and all, they haven't paid for their place. They haven't provided enough. They're embarrassed. Jesus' mum thinks, I know someone who could help in this situation. Jesus will probably feel a bit of empathy towards the groom and their family because they haven't provided enough wine. I know, Jesus, any chance you could help. Could you, by any chance, you know, punch the water and send some bottles out for us? Again, just reference from this, so those six jars that are around the outside, these are big jars that are going on there. And I did a little bit of maths. Wendy would be proud of me. Um, I found out that basically they hold about 75 to 115 litres of water in those that are there, which is the equivalent to about six to 900 bottles of wine. That's how much wine we're talking about Jesus produces in brackets. 
you know, <laughs> the in bracket bits of the Bible. Oh, by the way, 900 bottles of wine, okay. Um, I just, again, brainworm went to, you know, 900 bottles of wine and then throwing them, anyway, doesn't matter. Um, one, one big bit from this. This is not Jesus' way and the Bible's way of encouraging drunken behavior. I just want, I want to get clarity from this from the outset. This isn't Jesus going, do you know what? Let's all go and have a great drink up because isn't it fun when we're all drunk? Again, read the big narrative of the Bible and you'll notice that is not the direction of travel that we're going here. This is much more about the provision of abundance and actually the undertones, the little levels that are under it is that wine is very, very symbolic of the living life fruit of the vine. So much of the Old Testament, they've been saying things like, but we've been driven out of our lands, but we long for the day when we get to go back and grow vineyards again. Why? Because vineyards take ages to grow, but the, but the, the like, the... Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the rewards of longevity, of peace, of staying there, is that eventually the fruit grows. And with that fruit, you get to enjoy the sweetness of it. And this living, this living liquids that I take into me, it's not just that we use communion with red wine because it looks like blood. That's not the point. It's actually, it's alive. Something in it that's a living substance. That's why actually even when we take just grape juice here, it's strange because it's not quite capturing the full essence of the fact this is about the life of God's. Taking something that was just water that brings some nourishment into something that is now alive. And Jesus brings abundance and life to the wedding. He brings life to those that are there. And as they're there, they're thinking, well, the, the, the party's ending. The wine's run out. The life is finishing in this party. And Jesus says, oh no, it's only just getting started. Here's even more than you expected because I'm the Lord of abundance and I'm the one with life everlasting and I'm going to share it with you. You just bring me your dead water and I'm going to give you wine. That's why when we read bits into Revelation, we read that actually there's a wine that goes on for all eternity because again, it captures this essence of life and celebration and joy because our King is alive and he's the life giver. And he longs to bring life into every situation that he goes into. The bit I really want to catch us out on, though, and you already caught it, was the way that Jesus chats to his mum. That is not the encounter that I would have expected. What has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? Now, again, I, I don't think Jesus is just being offensive in that moment. I don't think he's just rude. Just Again... From, if I was just to read that on its own, I might think Jesus is a bit of a rude character towards his mum. But the point is that you read the whole book, not just a few fridge magnets when you want them. Because if I read fridge magnets about Jesus, I get a very distorted view. But if I read all of the book and I start to catch all of the essence of what Jesus is like, now I start to understand, oh, maybe I get a bit more of what that encounter was about. So Mary knows from a very young age who Jesus is, doesn't she? Because the angel tells her, you're going to be the mother of the Messiah. She is aware of who Jesus is and no one else is. She has this little inner secret. Even the disciples don't yet know because Jesus got to reveal himself. So she knows something about Jesus and she approaches him as, hey, come on. Come on, it's your turn. Right? It's a chance to show everyone. I know, let them in. Let them see as well. Come on. We've all been waiting for this. You only have to do this and they're all going to believe. And Jesus says, my time is not, my hour has not yet come. 
He understands the hour of his... And even each of those seven miraculous signs that happen and all build into this culmination, because where does Jesus really get shown? Where does he really get seen? It's doing that. <laughs> it's on the cross. <laughs> that is, because it, loads of people could try and reveal himself through tricks and, and miraculous things that he could do and party tricks to go there. Jesus' true revelation wasn't just in doing miraculous things. It was laying down his life on our behalf. That is the most countercultural Messiah that you will have ever expected. That's the, why, that's the reason it cuts across every culture. Every picture you try and capture Jesus, the one you can never really get past is I did not expect the Messiah to die naked on a cross. That is not where I expected this story to go. I expected more and more miraculous signs till more and more people believed. But the way he revealed it and showed himself was to lay down his life on our behalf and to give himself and to shed his own blood, his own life on our behalf. And because he had the authority to lay down his life, he also had the authority to pick it up again and to raise victorious from the grave for all eternity. But as Christians, the thing that we point towards, which is always countercultural, cuts against the grain of everyone else, is that we are people who first and foremost sacrifice and lay down our lives for others. We're not just party trick goers. Our meetings are just not made up with loads and loads of miraculous signs and wonders that are going on. It's also a life of laying, laying your life down and continuously saying, actually, in my weakness, that's where I'm strong. In the moment in which I submit, in the moment in which I give it all for others, it's the moment in which I'm glorified and magnified in those things. And Jesus sets the example in that, in the greatest sign that he shows. So when he says, my hour has not yet come, he's saying, woman, wait, because it's coming. And you're going to see me fully for who I truly am, the Messiah, the broken one, one who gives himself for you and for all that are here at this gathering. The other part as well, and this is just a little play on words that I want to use that's in there. And maybe the one thing that you'll remember from the talk, but the one little bit in there is that Mary approaches, his, approaches Jesus as his mother, but what she encounters is her Messiah. And that's the dynamic that's at play here. Because sometimes we'll approach Jesus, and I think it's good we can approach Jesus as our friend. He is our friend. Mary is not, it hasn't changed. She's no longer not his mum. She is his mum. But in that moment, it wasn't the motherhood of Mary that was significant. It was the Messiah of Jesus that was important. So sometimes when we come up to Jesus as his friend, he says, yeah, you are my friend. I'm also your Lord. Those things can be equally true. And you might say, no, no, lords can't be friends. They can. But I've got to remember that there's both when I encounter Jesus. When I come before him, and I think, again, the place that I find fruitfulness in my life is often the moment in which I acknowledge his lordship. Because I think, again, if what I'm looking for is just, I've got a lot of friends. I've got people that I can lean on and they'll make me feel good and I'll talk to them. And I can sometimes think, oh, Jesus, you're just like an even better version of a friend. Yeah, you are. And times when friends will let me down, you'll be there. But no one else is my Lord's. Only you are my Lord's. And there's definitely moments in my life when the Lordship of Jesus has been the most significant and needed encounter that I've ever had. Because I've come before him and I've said, great, thank you that you're my friends, but I'm so grateful that you're my Lord's. I did, last night I was preparing, I was just walking, I went out, I was wandering around the streets in Eastbourne. Again, that sounds weirder than it was, but I was just wandering and praying. 
And as I was just, I just, again, I was just walking, I just saw a massive moon in the sky, and all I could say was, Jesus, I'm so grateful that you're Lord. You're sovereign. You rule. I know my place in this relationship. You're Lord. I serve you. I'm the servant of the living God. And I trust you, and I bow my knee before you again. And it's funny, because in that place is where often you find the fruit. You'll often think, oh, can't I get it for a miracle? Can't you do something amazing in this moment? But so often it comes from that moment of acknowledgement of Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, the one I love, the one I bow before, the one I trust. And in that place, fruitfulness comes. See, this is where I really I want to say, can I say in the band? You just want to come and join me? Because we're not going to sing necessarily straight away. We're just going to start to play behind. And I, just want, I feel like a few people just need to come to this encounter of Jesus this morning And you might need your own little moment in which Jesus says to you, woman, what has this concern of yours to do with me? You might need a bit of that today. Man, what has this concern of yours to do with me? But have you noticed he still does it? Even though the encounter they get is a bit of a shock, he still doesn't leave them in need. That's not what my God is like. He may surprise you, but he'll also meet your deepest needs. He longs to bring fruit onto the vine today. He longs to provide where you feel barren. Jesus not only has the ability to respond, but he also has the ability to solve. That again is the incredible dynamic of Jesus. If all he was was able to say, oh yeah, there, there, I hear it, but he's also able to do so we can trust him today and we can come before him and know that God is one who, Jesus is one who longs to listen to our prayers but also to answer our prayers. Both of those things are at work in Jesus. And then I just love this little bit at the very end of the story where Jesus says, and Ben, do you want to just start playing in behind here? Because I, I feel like this is just going to resonate in some people that's on there. The rest has run out, but the best wine is here. Oh, that is, that again is an incredible part of the story. Everyone else will tell you, get the good stuff in early. Get all the good things in now. And Jesus says, no, 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 the best is yet to come. And I'm bringing it. I'm bringing the best. I'm saving it till last. And actually the incredible part is when Jesus says, my hour has not yet come, we're the other side of the resurrection. Jesus now says, my hour has come. I've been revealed. I've been glorified. I'm high and lifted up. I'm holy. I'm seated at the right hand of the Father. My hour has come. The good wine is here. It's It's to enjoy today, church. Christian, it's to enjoy today the fruit of the vine because Jesus comes to bring it on our behalf. And we get to drink of it today and drink of his goodness. So why don't you just, and I don't want want everyone to respond in the same way. So I just wonder in this moment, let's just close our eyes for a second. We've got plenty of time. That's great. If our eyes are closed, then it just helps other people respond. It feels a bit less self-conscious. 
I just wonder if there is any, anyone here today who just feels a bit barren, just feels like there's no fruit on their vine. Just encourage you just to stand just where you are. If you feel like you just need fruit on the vine again today, you need to receive the life of God. Maybe into personal situations of yourself. Might be into other situations that you face. But Jesus just wants to turn some water into wine this morning. It's great, there's a few people. Let's just give a bit more time. We're not in a rush. If you're a parent, no one's going to tell you to go grab your kids quickly. You've got time. There's a few people. That's it. Come on. I know there's a few of us, and it's all right. It's... Like I said, it's often in those moments of weakness when we stand or we come before God and we say, I'm empty, I need this. He loves to provide. That's brilliant. As you're standing there, let me just read you the words of Jesus to you. So when the head waiter tasted the when the head waiter tasted the water, he did not know where it had come from, though the servant who had drawn the water knew, and he called the groom and told him, Everyone sets out the fine wine first, and then after people are drunk the inferior, but you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus wants to say to you this morning, receive the fine wine. My hour has come. I want to return fruitfulness to your vine. I want you to know that my life is your life. I want you to know this morning that because I live, you live. I want you to know this morning that when I died, you died. You are forever hidden in Christ. Your Lord your saviour and the Lord longs to give you fruit today. God, let's pray for every individual that stands before you. Pray, bring fruit to the vine. Return fruitfulness to the barren land, to the barren woman, to the barren man. Lord, we just ask for the fruit of the vine today, the fruit of your life the life-giving power of Christ Jesus at work in us today. We ask for it, God. We thank you, Lord, that you are a Lord of abundance. Your wine does not run out. You fill it to the brim. God, I pray that people would fill their soul just filling to the brim now. Just in that same way as the waiters just go and fill up the, the jars of water and they continue pouring into it until it is full to the brim. I pray that people would be filled, filled to overflowing this morning. God, I don't want to leave here empty today. I want an encounter with the Messiah this morning. I just wonder now if you're standing, please stay standing. But if, if you're sitting, just open your eyes. And if someone near you standing, 
Why don't you just ask me if you could pray with them? Come on, this is, this is family, this is church for each other. For someone near you, for someone across the room, but you feel prompted, just go and lay hands on them. The word of God's amazing and wonderful because from the front, we all hear the same word. But now God just loves to release his gifts. He releases gifts to his church. They might be prophetic words. They might be encouragements. They might just be prayers that you've got. But we're just going to pray for people in this moment and trust that it's Jesus who speaks. He loves to speak through us, his people. And while we're praying in this moment for the rest of us, as we start to sing, I just want to encourage you. Some of you might never have done this. You might do this on a regular basis. I just want you to approach Jesus as your Lord this morning. If you're not a Christian, that might be the very first time ever you felt encouraged or prompted to say to Jesus, Jesus, you're my Lord. I submit to you. If you've been a Christian for a long time, I promise you there is fruit on the other side of that. On acknowledging Jesus as your Lord, there is a lot of fruit for you to enjoy. So as you sing, you're singing out of gratitude and thanks to the fact that the greatest one is Lord of our life. You can trust Him completely. You might need to repent. You might need to lay some things down. I often do it on my knees. I find when I'm in my knees, a posture of that just helps me acknowledging the Lordship of Jesus. But as we sing, let's just approach Him as our Lords, as our Saviour, as our King, as the one that we bow before, as the one that we bring our adoration towards. Let's just start to sing from that place and let's respond and see what fruit you receive. See what you encounter of God when you approach Him like that now.